As I said, we've been teaching from the book of Ephesians. And if you're joining us online, we want to thank you for joining us online. This is part of our series that we're exploring different aspects of Christian life, Christian living. And if you're not a Christian and you're here, thank you for coming. Really grateful that you're here amongst us and you are welcome. And this is a church that welcomes and encourages people to come and to participate and to join in and to watch and to engage and discover the Christian faith. Or maybe even you were raised Christian, but you've wandered off a little bit and you are coming to Willow Park because a number of reasons maybe. You can, uh, you've heard that it's a good place. You've been to Living Nativity and you've heard that, um, that this is a good place to check out Christianity and start to re-engage. And I think that is wonderful as well. Uh, what I really want to share with you and talk to you about this morning... And this family weekend, this holiday weekend, kind of fits well because although it's family weekend, although we are planning events on Monday and meeting with family and Michelle and I were talking this morning about what we're going to do with the kids and if we could convince our 16-year-olds to go on a walk, (coughs) you know that feeling? And what we're going to do and what we're going to engage in and so on. But for a lot of us, we can feel a very strong sense of isolation. And sometimes when we think about family life, it doesn't create good feelings. It creates quite negative feelings within ourselves because of our experience. What Paul wants to address here in 2 Corinthians and uh, 2 Ephesians and verse 11 is, is this sense of togetherness and the sense of breaking any sense of isolation. The one thing that human beings are very good, we are very good at creating isolation. And we are very good at creating alienation. And we are very good at excluding people. And we're very good at putting people into a box. It's something about the human nature that we like to put people into a box. And when we put them into that box, we like to leave them there. Often we put this person into a box or we say, oh, this person's like that. But of course, you can never put human beings into a box and you can never do that. And yet we have this ability uh, as human beings to alienate individuals. I see this in the worst press in the world, and I'm not proud of this, is the British press. They are the worst in the world. They're worse because... They alienate people. And it's when I did a postgraduate studies in um, drug abuse and intervention strategy when I was a, a, a graduate, uh, we looked at the way that the media treated different groups of people and made them feel what the phrase is, demonized, made them stand out and say, this group of people are causing these problems and this is because of this. And it was very monotone. It was very black and white. And they looked at this section of society and what the media would do. They would focus on this section of society and they would make them feel inadequate or useless or they would make them feel that the problems of our nation is down to this group of people. Have you seen that happen in, um, in newspapers? Canadians are lovely, though. 
But we see that happen. I see all that happen in Britain. First of all, there was a group, let's say there was a whole season for about two years when they focused on single moms and lone parents in the British press. It would always be about how single moms and lone parents were causing these problems, these difficulties. The children were being raised and they were causing all of these great social problems in society. And they would focus on lone parents and single moms. And then, of course, it moved on to those who had dependency issues, those with drug issues, those that struggled with addiction and the media focused on that for a number of years and you could see how they would create an issue, whip it up and to focus in that way. Then it would move on to people with mental health issues, a couple of scary stories about somebody so very ill doing something would be front page on these particular newspapers and would point them out and say, look, oh, everybody who suffers with any form of mental illness, look, there's all of this. It's alienated that group. In recent years in Britain, it's been immigrants from Poland and Bulgaria and looking at people. Now that's completely different from Canada, of course, because Canada loves immigration. You're the only country in the Western world that wants 250,000 people to emigrate every year to keep the economy going. I'm grateful because that's how I can get in. It's wonderful. But in Britain, of course, oh, there's going to be one million Poles are going to come and they're going to take over Britain. The Polish are coming and they're all plumbers and, and there's been no help or we're not going to be able to find an English plumber. Let me tell you something. Don't look for an English plumber sometimes. Those Polish plumbers, they're amazing. And we've got this idea about alienation. But let me tell you something about the church, which Paul wants to teach us here. The church is not meant to be a place of alienation. The church is meant to be a place of embracing people with their stories, with their problems, with their difficulty. There are no outsiders in the kingdom of God. He wants to welcome all with their pain and their story. He looks at that lone parent and says, I want I want to be with you. I want to be a father to you. I want to help you. I want to be with you and I want to strengthen you. He looks at that individual with a, 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 an addiction issue and looks at them. And if you're not a Christian, realize this. He looks at them and he says, you know what? I want to bring freedom and hope into your life. He looks at that person who is ill or struggling, say, with mental health issues. And they say that church should be a wonderful place where people feel loved and accepted. That's the kind of body that there is no walls. Nobody is excluded. People are loved. And if you come from a foreign heritage, which of course we all do, because this is Canada. Well, most of us, unless we First Nations, of course, we, God welcomes us all. So there's a big debate in the church, you say. We divide ourselves over politics. We divide ourselves over nationalities. We divide ourselves in ethnic lines. We are so good at creating division, creating doors, and locking those doors towards people. 
I have a vision. It was a vision when I became a Christian at 16 of a church that loves, that welcomes, that cares, that engages with everybody in society with the great message of the gospel. I have a vision that the church should be a place where it's not a place of walls, but it's a place of openness. It's a place of God's grace. It's a place of God's love. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate, that the great divide he's talking about in this verse is between Gentiles and Jews. And their separation, and yet he's declaring in these 11 verses that something incredible has happened. We none of us like to be alienated. None of us like that feeling. I remember I was in Northern Ireland. And I'd been speaking at some youth events and I was training for a marathon and I went off for a long 20 mile run. It was a great place to run, Northern Ireland. I don't know if you've ever been there. Beautiful country. Rains a lot, has its problems, of course, sectarianism. And I went for a long run and I was absolutely bursting for the washroom. And so I went into this particular little public house, this bar, and I walked in and I looked at the barman and I said to him, Excuse me, sir, could I use your washroom? Now, of course, I didn't call it a washroom, because they don't call it that in Northern Ireland. Could I use your toilet, please? He looked at me, and the whole of the bar went quiet. I suppose he looked at me and saw a short-haired Englishman standing in an Irish pub. He probably thought, English accent, short hair, he's a member of the English army. Or he's like that, and I'd wandered into a certain kind of pub, and he looked at me and simply stared at me and said, No. No. Ye, get out. That's an Irish accent, by the way. And, (laughs) get out. The Northern Irish accent is one of the hardest to do, actually. Particularly with me. And I went, oh, really? really? Honestly? Get out! You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's what they say in Ireland. Do you know what you mean? I said, I think I know what you mean. And it's like everybody in that pub looked at me and went, out! 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 For those of you who have no idea what I'm saying, I'm saying out. And... I, I ran off out of that pub. I ran. And I realized that I'd wandered into a sectarian uh, IRA pub that was probably not the best for a young English boy to go in. But I'll tell you what, that word, get out, I can feel it even today. True, isn't it? Because it's not nice being made to feel as if you're not accepted. It's not nice to feel because of how life has treated you and the difficult things you've traveled through. Somehow you are an outsider. Somehow you are not accepted. Well, I want to give you some good news. 
And when we get into the scripture for a few minutes here, you will discover some great news that God welcomes everybody. That he looks at our lives, he looks what we've been through, and you may not understand this, and may you may have a wrong perception of Christianity and church, that it's all about club, it's all about this group, it's all about being hypocritical, it's all about being judgmental. Again, that is another picture the media uh, uh, paints, but it's not the picture and the heart of what true Christianity is all about, because God does not want us to feel alienated. He wants us to feel the embrace of his love because he cares for us so much. So verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you were a Gentile by birth and called uncircumcised. And by those who called themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and are foreigners to the covenant and of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. He describes a picture here, and look at this in verse, verse 12. He says, we were without hope and we had no God in our lives. In other words, we were like we had no joy. In fact, earlier on, it explains that we were actually dead before we found Christ. But he's definitely talking about something that for some of us is difficult to work out in the context that for the Jewish people, there was an absolute separation between those who were in Israel and the rest of the world. And they saw the separation was created by something called circumcision. And circumcision marked out the people of Israel and said, we are God's chosen people. We are God's people. God loves us from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there we are. And therefore, because we are chosen, we do not mingle or mix with those Gentiles, with those Greeks, with those Romans, with those other people. In fact, if a Gentile girl fell in love with a Jewish boy, And the Jewish boy married that Gentile girl, which would be at times unthinkable in that culture, but it was documented, then the Jewish family would have a funeral and act as if the young man that married the Gentile girl was now completely dead and a funeral would take place. That person would be eradicated from the family album and would be thought of as disappeared, evaporated, dead and gone. That's how deep the, the, the roots ran of division at this time with Jesus and with Paul. These people were seen as untouchable, unconnected, unable to come Come together. The Gentiles were a no-go area. We see this even by the way that they erected the temple. The temple, the second temple, because there were a first temple and then there was a second temple, 
had dividing barriers in it. Amazingly, when you look at the dividing barriers in the second temple, they erected more barriers and more walls than God's law said. And actually, they made it more and more difficult for people to come into the presence of God. Paul himself was under arrest. Why? Because in Acts 21 and verse 28, what did they say? They said, he's the one. What did he do? He's the one. What crime did he do? The crime he committed, he brought Greeks into the temple. That's the crime. Get rid of him. Kill him. He allowed Gentiles. He talks to Greeks. Greeks. I like Greeks. He talks to Greeks and he brings them in the temple. Now, Greeks are everybody else in the world except the Jewish nation. And so they had divided such a way that there were continuous walls within the temple to stop groups of people from getting into the presence of God. Just by a a note, whatever kind of church we build together as this wonderful family, what we must never do is build walls within our Corridors that stop people from engaging with the love of God. The presence of God is available to everybody. The gospel is there for everybody. In their brokenness, in their pain, not in their alienation, not in God wants them to come. He wants them to know. And this is what Paul is saying. You were once a foreigner if, uh, here in Ephesus. You were once an outcast. You were dead. You had no hope. But because of one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been welcomed into God's kingdom. Something amazing has happened with this Messiah Jesus that the whole world, the whole Gentile world are welcome to join. The Egyptians, the Greek, the Europeans, those from China, those from Asia, those from around the globe, Something amazing has happened and what has taken place, the walls that divide us have been destroyed and humanity can know a new beginning because of Christ the Redeemer. Is that amazing? That's what we live under here. Verse 14. And how is it achieved? Well, verse 13, it's achieved through something called the blood of Christ. The death of Christ is achieved through his blood, for it goes on. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You know what Christianity is about? Christianity is about destroying dividing walls of hostility and introducing people to the Prince of Peace. Jesus loves to destroy dividing walls. He loves this. And the greatest dividing wall was between us and God. And by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself, now look at this verse, in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. 
You look around the world and sometimes, and you start to think about what goes on. You look at Syria. You look at the pain in Somalia. You look at the carnage in the Congo. You look at the brutality in northern Nigeria. You look at the isolation and persecution in northern Korea. Wherever you look uh, in the four corners of the globe, you could step back and say, we need a new humanity. This humanity isn't working. This humanity isn't happening. This humanity is just at times when we see people murdered and we see the trafficking of, of children and we see the evil and the darkness that is behind humanity, you can throw your arms up and say, we need a new humanity. Can I tell you something? There is a new citizenship. There is a new humanity. And this new humanity is the kingdom of God and the church of Christ. And it's you and I. We are born of the Spirit and Paul says, we are the new humanity to bring hope to the world. That's what it's about. So everything we build in church should bring hope. It should bring a new humanity. I'm part of a new humanity. An amazing humanity that is linked in Christ. How can I explain this better? You've got the Jewish thing. You've got the Gentile thing. You've got the war that divided them. You've got the, the battle. And then there comes Jesus, the Messiah. Where I was born, there's a river that runs through my town. It's called the Stour. And it runs all the way down. And it's, it's a smaller river. And I've gone down it. I've jogged the full length of it. It's about 25 miles long, actually. So it's not big. It comes from a spring in some hills. It's probably as wide as this area I'm preaching in. And it is, for many years, it was polluted. The heart of the Industrial Revolution. There were never any fish. If you fell in it as a kid, you'd die. And... It was just toxic, horrible. Now, I've been back in recent years, and, and now they say they've cleaned it up, and it's amazing. It's, it's full of, of, of trout, and they're even saying that salmon are making their way up. I think that's nonsense. But, but there's trout there, and I saw them. And so this little river has a great history in the birth of the Industrial Revolution that changed the world. It's where iron ore came from. It's where the world was altered. It's where the first steam train was built on the banks of this little river that was sent to America, the very first ever steam train. Think of that for a moment of Israel. A little family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The 12 tribes, the story of this little tribe that grew and grew, that was enslaved and then found freedom and found their place in the world. This story is like a little river flowing, showing us, guiding us, a narrative and a story. 
And you might look on this and say, well, it's small and insignificant. But as you run down this river, there's a point where suddenly this river meets a mighty river, an incredible river. It's a, it's a river that's divided the history of the nation called the River Severn that starts in Wales and runs through Shrewsbury and Gloucester and down to Bristol. And suddenly the Stour flows into the Severn and it becomes one river, and it becomes a mighty river. It becomes a wide river. That river travels to the Bristol and to the Bristol Channel, where ships have gone all over the world to every corner of the globe from that point. And this is what Paul's making. There was a divine, glorious river that flowed through Israel, and then it joined all of humanity, and it brought its life. It brought its answer. It brought its message of a great. God and suddenly this smaller river became a mighty river that changed the course of human history because Christ the Messiah died on the cross and came to bring about a new humanity. Think about that. I use an English river, I'm sorry. It's very simple in Canadian geography. I love it. I love Canadian geography. The Ottawa River, great river. Starts in northern Quebec, beautiful river. Goes through northern, all the cold things, flows all the way. Where does it flow into? The massive, the humongous St. Lawrence. See, think of Israel like the Ottawa. And now think of all of humanity joining in on the greatest canoe ride anybody could ever have. Unless, of course, you go over Niagara Falls. But the, the analogy breaks down there. So coming back to the text for a moment. What word is used a lot in the text? Peace. Peace. Do you know what really bothers me when I go on Google and Google peace? It's all this new age stuff. I've got to cross my legs. I've got to do this. I've got to have this eye. I've got to find inner peace and serenity. And it really bothers me because for 1,900 years, there was one faith, one group of believers that had cornered the market on peace. And do you know who they were? Christians. What's happened to us? We've become so stressed out, we become so full of anxiety, we become so part of the industrial age that we've forgotten the peace that Christ brings to each one of us. What's wrong with us? We serve the Prince of Peace, but we run around like headless chickens. Like we serve the Prince of... Anyway, moving on. But... Peace, what does the word peace mean here? It's down here in verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's you and I in the big river of humanity, and to you, preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, which of course 
the Jewish nation. But he came to preach peace. For through him we both have access to the Father by what? By the one Spirit. What does the word peace mean here? It's a lovely, two lovely words. It actually means wholeness. What Christ wants to give you is not alienation, not isolation. What he wants to give you is wholeness in your life. What he wants to give you, my friends, is harmony. 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 It literally means that. And many of us are suffering with the lack of peace because the harmony with us and God's spirit has somehow been broken. We've forgotten that we are citizens of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And maybe you've wandered in here this morning. I want to tell you one true fact. Give your life and follow Christ and he will give you harmony and he will make your life whole and he will bring peace to you because that's what it says on the tin. And I, for one, can testify that it's true and that it works. See, alienation means being excluded. Why do we feel excluded, friends? Why have I noticed in our culture, in Kelowna culture, that many people talk about feeling a stranger in their own town? Why is it that people feel a stranger in their own church? Why is it that we forget the great truths that are being communicated here? And these are the three great truths I'm going to finish with in these final moments. For some of you, you've been alienated through life, through family, at school. It still stings all those years ago. At work, through education, through moments. And you feel the pain of being excluded by those events. Can I tell you something? Those past events of exclusion can be healed and you can find peace in Christ and his cross. And I'm not joking. Oh, he welcomes you. He welcomes you. He says, consequently, in verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God. People also members of his household. But on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. We're all joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. Three final things for you to consider. Number one is, you and I can experience one thing that he talks about here. It's called reconciliation. Reconciliation with God comes through a belief in Christ Jesus. This is the first and most important application 
of the peace that is found in Christ. It comes through reconciliation because many of us feel unpeaceful. Many of us feel strangers. Many of us feel as if we're outsiders because actually Paul says we have lost hope and we are dead and we are outsiders and we experience this in our lives and by this we feel this sense of alienation and the only thing that will stop you from feeling like a stranger in this world is by being reconciled to the God who created this world. So we have to be reconciled. Reconciliation is a beautiful thing. Two people that are enemies towards each other now become united. Two that were separated now are joined Second word he wants to teach us here, well, that we are reconciled, but we become members. We are members of this new humanity. We are members far and near. Those rivers have joined together. We have become members of the great ocean of God's character, of his love, of his grace. And we are now members. We are citizens. And with citizenship and with membership, as Paul writes this, comes privileges, comes power, comes Blessings comes a sense that we no longer have to feel a stranger in our own strength, but you are members of the body of Christ, the temple of God, and as members of that, there are privileges. And the greatest privilege is that we have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Privileged. You're privileged. Will you take hold of your privileged membership and start to pray as if you're privileged? Will you take hold of your privileged membership and deal with the battles in your life as sons and daughters of the King of Kings? Will you take hold of that privileged membership, that citizenship, and say, I am not going to let this drive me down. I'm going to allow my membership in Christ's body because membership has privileges. And finally, unity. Unity is Christ-centered and spirit-enabled. Unity. We are new household of God. And there's a moment in that temple with all those dividing walls as Christ died, which some of you may not know, but there was a place in the temple where the glory of God resided. The holiness of Christ, of God, descended. And as Christ died on the cross, only priests could go into that holy, holy place. But as Christ died and cried, it is finished, what happened? The veil, the curtain between the presence of God and the rest of the world was ripped in half. The river of Israel joined humanity in the Messiah and called all the nations under one new hope that God said there is now unity. There's neither the circumcised or the uncircumcised. The story of God's great love and redemption, we are united together. Wow. What does this mean for us practically? It actually means so much. 
But really what it means is that you've got to be honest enough to face the feeling of alienation in your life and say, Lord, why do I have this feeling? When I'm a citizen, a member, when I am reconciled to God, why? Why do I find it hard? Lord, come and speak to me. Come and break the lies that make me a lone ranger, that make me push away rather than lean in. Help me this week to act out of God's gracious love. Help me this week to know that as a Christian and part of the new humanity, if you like, I am called like his character, to welcome, to love, to bless others, to build church community in our small groups and and all of these activities, to do it with an open heart and greeting people and loving them, that church becomes the greatest place to be because it's full of people with their arms wide open who want to show people the love of God to this world. And nobody that walks through those doors should be alienated. There's neither circumcised or uncircumcised, but in Christ we are one. Can you engage in that? That's the kind of church I want to build. It's the kind of church, a church I'm committed. That we reflect a goodness and an openness and a welcome. But I know I can only be really welcoming when I've actually dealt with the sense of being a stranger in my own heart. And I have to bring that to Christ and say, Lord, will you heal it? Will you heal it? Let's pray together. I've mentioned different groups. I know the congregation well these days. And the confidence I speak about, speaking about different groups, about whether you're Maybe you sat here and you have been through a a very sad and difficult divorce. Maybe you've been sat here and you felt the pressure of being a lone parent. Maybe your family's been touched by mental health issues and sickness. Some of you read Michelle's blog this week. We spoke about her brother who suffered with schizophrenia. And what a battle that was for two decades. For some of you, you feel hurt and isolated because of what somebody said to you in the past. And those words still sting. Christ wants to come, break the veil and heal you in the next few minutes, the final moments of this service. It starts with you reaching out to his presence, walking into his holy of holies and laying before him whatever isolation, whatever exclusion, whatever hurt, whatever damage you feel, 
Let it go. Let the Lord touch it. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you like what I've been saying. Consider today in this song, whether at the end, if I invite you to give your life to Jesus, whether you will commit your whole life to Jesus this morning. Father, I pray right now for us. Friends, for a moment, my family, I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Never do that. But as you're praying, you know that you've got a hurt of alienation inside of you and you felt a stranger or excluded in some area of your life. And this struck you this morning. If that's you and the Lord has highlighted it, just slip your hand up and say, Dear Pastor, join me in this prayer. I'll join you in this prayer because I need the Lord to heal an alienated heart. If that's you right now, just slip your hand up. God bless you. God bless. God bless. So many of us feel alienated in the balcony. Slip your hand up. God bless. God bless. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that feel a sense of loss and alienation. I pray in faith that in the next few moments, as they confess this and bring it to you, you will heal their sense of feeling estranged. And that, Lord, we will receive our full privileges of members of the new body. The glory of being united with you. That we receive from you your love now. In the name of Christ. Amen.